Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the World Martial Arts Radio Network. Up next, you will be listening to the USA Martial Arts Hall of Fame Show Host of the Year Award winner, the one and only Justin Harvey, producer, director, and on-air star of the Justin Harvey Show. Hi, this is Sheldon Ledich. I wrote the screenplay for Bloodsport and directed a few of uh, Jean-Claude Van Damme's most uh, well-known movies. I want you to listen to Justin Harvey on The Justin Harvey Show. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Justin Harvey here of The Justin Harvey Show. Um, let me explain what's going on. Um, I use an application uh, to record my um podcast slash phone calls when I have a guest on and uh earlier this morning um I had a sit down conversation with uh uh the writer of Bloodsport, uh Sheldon Lettage and uh apparently the company that uh, makes my application for my iPhone um I will not mention their name uh in this broadcast uh for certain reasons but anyways I like using the uh, product uh, but I will say that uh, I want to say to my fans and followers of the Justin Harvey show that uh, I am a little disappointed with them um, because during this interview um, and I'm not aware of this as it's going on I uh, I listened to the recording as I was editing it and, and whatnot. Um, there were some uh glitches in the um in the uh recording today which rarely ever happens uh we all know that uh technology is not perfect um so i just wanted to apologize to my fans for that happening and you know and apologize to Sheldon Lettage uh personally that that's happened um it happened in a couple of spots, uh, so there are some uh, spots in the interview that's not perfect. Um, there was actually some blankness in some of it, but um, I pretty much took care of that. Uh, but some of it is missing from our conversation that we had earlier today. But uh, all in all, I still think that it was a good uh podcast episode I just wanted to make sure that my fans uh, will were um, well aware of this um, mishap and like I said it's beyond my control um, it's just something that happened uh, with the application that I was not aware of when I was having my phone conversation with uh, Sheldon Lettage so um, as I said before I do apologize and I do want to mention real quickly because I didn't um, get a chance to earlier um, uh, my show is uh, brought to you by Legacy Belts and also syndicated through uh, World Martial Arts Media and World Martial Arts uh, Radio Network and again guys I apologize but in my opinion you know things happen and things are sometimes out of our control with technology but all in all I still think that it was a good segment so without further ado let's go ahead and jump into the show thank you for understanding 
Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Justin Harvey here on the Justin Harvey Show. I've got a massive show for you today because for me today, it's a dream come true because I grew up on movies such as Bloodsport, Lionheart, Double Impact. So this is truly, truly a dream come true for me and an honor for me. I want to welcome Sheldon Lettich to the show. Welcome, sir. It's truly an Thank honor. Thank you very much, Justin. Thank you. Happy to be here. How are you this morning? I'm doing just great. Well, I, I just, you know, before we get into the older stuff, I really wanted to push something new that's actually kind of brand new um, because right now it's on it's on HBO and, and HBO Now and HBO Go. Um, you actually wrote the film um, Max, which... I actually had bought that on iTunes uh, because of my German Shepherd, and I didn't realize that you had wrote the film until I saw the credits. Yes, I went. Uh, I went from martial arts movies to dog movies. But that's my new career. Wow, I I thought it was pretty. I thought it was pretty interesting that you actually made that transition um, because you know, like I said, um. I'm used to like double impact and and blood sport and Lionheart, so it was, it was pretty interesting that you went from that transition. How did that come about? Well, I've written many different kinds of films over the course of my career. Uh, I um, I wrote a uh, a voodoo horror movie many years ago. I wrote a a college football comedy for Motown of all things. Uh, I've written, um, uh, I wrote a film called uh, Ruskies uh, that uh, came out in the mid-80s, which was the first starring role for uh, Joaquin Phoenix. <clears throat> Joaquin was about, I think he was about 12 years old, 14 years old, something like that at the time. And um, that wasn't a martial arts movie at all. Um, and then... Um, I transitioned into doing uh, martial arts films because I wrote uh, Bloodsport. Wow. Um, uh, and, yeah, and that, that came about because um, I'm also a um, Vietnam veteran, and I had written, um, I'd written a, a screenplay. I'd written a, a, actually, I was a co-author of what's become kind of a famous play about Vietnam called Tracers. Mm-hmm. Uh, which which I developed with a group of Vietnam veterans who were also actors, and this is something that um, um, well, it started in Los Angeles. It was at the Public Theater in New York. It was at the Steppenwolf Theater in Chicago, where uh, Gary Sinise directed it. Um, I think it's one. Uh, I think that might have been one major factor that got Gary Sinise so interested in uh, veterans' affairs because he's a Big supporter of anything having to do with uh, with veterans, but um, moving beyond that, um, that um, uh, got me introduced to this guy named uh, Frank Dukes, and Frank had spent a little bit of time in the Marine Corps. Um, mm-hmm. Actually, according to his um, uh, discharge paper, um, which I've seen. He spent about four months in the Marine Corps Reserve, so uh, uh, he was never really in the uh, 
the Marine Corps proper, um, and uh, um, but told a lot of tales about being in the Marines and being in Vietnam. Wrote a book about mm-hmm. Vietnam, and um, uh, I had an agent who was also representing Frank, and the agent uh, asked me if I could uh, come in and uh, do some editing on his book because his book was uh, really way overwritten, way too long. And he he was saying, uh, if I could just get somebody to cut this book in half, I could probably sell it. So that's how I ended up meeting Frank. And Frank uh, told, uh, he's a a great storyteller. He's a teller of tall tales, uh, but somebody who puts himself in these tall tales and then convinces himself that, they're true that he actually participated in them, and one of his tall tales was about this uh, kumite, <laughs> which is a really interesting concept. And um, uh, look, you don't have to say that you participated in something when you didn't, uh, but if you heard about something cool and you want to write about it, that's uh, that's one thing. I, I do that all the time. Um, uh-huh. uh, Max was written about um, Belgian Malinois dogs, and um, uh, I actually used to have two Belgian Malinois. I have one right now, but I had two of them before they were brother and sister. Uh, I didn't know what they were when I first got them. thought they mm-hmm. were German Shepherds. turned out they were Belgian Malinois, which I'd never heard about before. Yeah. And then I um, started doing a little research and found out that this is what the military and the police all over the world have been switching to the last 20 years from German Shepherds. Um, and that's what led to me coming up with the idea for Max and writing uh, Max with, uh, with my old friend Boaz Yakin. But uh, uh, the point I'm trying to make is um, just because I had a couple of Belgian Malinois doesn't mean that uh, I'm going to start telling people, um, uh, well, they were actually bomb-sniffing dogs in Afghanistan, and when I brought them back here, uh, they helped me bring down a... Um, uh, uh, some um, uh, weapons traffickers, um, and I went on this big adventure with them, and uh, and you know basically uh, telling the story of Max, putting myself and my dogs in it, and saying it's all true. Well, that's mm-hmm. not what, what I did. That's uh, <clears throat> I had the dogs, but we made up this whole story about uh, and based on true events. Uh, but you see, Frank would hear about something, like he, he, he heard this uh, about the, the Kumite. I'm not sure where he heard it. Mm-hmm. But then he put himself into it. He basically said, oh, yeah, I participated in the Kumite. And actually, I won the Kumite, and I, I fought all these various uh, opponents, and I had the world's fastest kick, and um, uh, all kinds of other statistics, all of which were made up. And he maintained they were true. Anyways, that's how I ended up getting involved with blood sport because Frank was telling me about it, told me that, uh, uh, and this is, this is not pitching a screenplay. This is mm-hmm. basically saying, oh, I did this stuff. I participated in the Kumite, and it was very bloody, so the nickname for it was blood sport. And when I heard that name, uh, it, it was like bells started ringing and fireworks were going off, and, and I said, wow, that's a great title for a movie. Yeah. In fact, Everything you've just been telling me about the Kumite, that's a great idea for a movie, too. And um, 
a number of months later, when we never sat down and wrote this, I, I was saying this is a great idea for a script, but didn't didn't actually do any writing on it because I had lots of other things going on. But I met this um, this guy named Mark DeSalle, who at the time, uh, I'm not saying this to disparage him, but he was producing porno movies at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, this is back in the day when you know porno movies were made and people went to theaters to see them. You know, yeah. nowadays it's all over the internet. But Mark was uh, <clears throat> uh, so he had some experience getting getting little movies produced, and um, um, he heard that I was a writer, and uh, we met at some post-production facility where he was uh, editing some of his films, and um, took me to lunch and said, look, um, my, uh, martial arts films, well, any kind of film, they, they, they come in cycles. You know, there's like a cycle of science fiction, cycle of cowboy movies, uh, war movies. Martial arts movies have kind of gone out of fashion, but I think they're going to come back. Somebody needs to bring them back. And, uh, and I've got a, an idea for a movie uh, that I'd like you to write, uh, and it's called Kickboxer. Mm-hmm. So he pitched uh, the story of Kickboxer to me, and I listened politely. I thought it was okay, but uh, then I said, uh, look, as long as you want to do a martial arts movie, I've got an idea that I want to pitch to you, and it's called Bloodsport. Well, he just loved the whole idea of Bloodsport, loved the title, and I told him, look, the guy um, who told me about this Kumite, uh, his name's Frank Dukes, and he says he actually participated in it, um, and um, um, I can introduce you to him. So uh, I ended up doing that. Um, he met with Frank. And um, Mark ended up hiring me to write the script uh, based on Frank's, you know, quote, experiences. Mm-hmm. And Frank was hired to, uh, uh, basically they were paying Frank a, a small amount of money to be a consultant and to give Mark the right to uh, use his name in the movie and to use his quote, true life story, uh, to mm-hmm. basically turn, turn his true life story into uh, a movie. So uh, that's what we started with. Um, I wrote the script, and, um, and then Mark went to work trying to get it set up, and he managed to get it set up at uh, Canon Films, which at the time was doing a lot of movies with, uh, with Chuck Norris, uh, they were doing these ninja movies with uh, Michael Dudikoff, mm-hmm. you know, American Ninja, and uh, a few other titles like that. So this was right up their alley. <clears throat> Excuse me just a second. Okay, that's right. And um, they ended up um, wanting to make the movie, and they made a deal with Mark. And uh, uh, now... Uh, <clears throat> All they had to do was uh, find somebody to play Frank Dukes in the movie. Mm-hmm. And uh, <clears throat> we, we truly had no idea because we were not writing uh, uh, this with um, any particular actor in mind. Uh, basically, it was just, uh, we're just telling the story of uh, uh, this guy Frank Dukes and the Kumite, and um, we weren't thinking, oh, this is a perfect vehicle for this person or that person. And um, 
Cannon was doing a, movies with Chuck Norris. They did quite a few Chuck Norris movies. I don't know if Chuck was approached, or he might have been approached and said, no, this doesn't sound like my cup of tea. Uh, mm-hmm. Anyways, they, so they were looking for somebody else. Uh, I don't know if they approached Michael Dudikoff, but basically they were looking, uh, they were looking for somebody new to uh, cast in this, to um, um, try to create a new star. And uh, Menachem um, uh, had met Jean-Claude at the Cannes Film Festival maybe a year before, maybe two years before. Anyways, uh, Jean-Claude is in L.A. now. He sees Menachem stepping out Mm -hmm. of his car to go in a restaurant. Um, This is a story that's been repeated many times, but I believe it's 100% true. And uh, uh, they did a U-turn. He was with Michelle Kesey. Uh, the guy who ended up playing Tong Po in Kickboxer. Um, and he goes up to Menachem and says, Hey, Menachem, remember me, Jean-Claude Van Damme, and throws a kick at his face, <laughs> you know, which uh, uh, misses by about two inches. He used to do that a lot back then. He did that to me. He did that to everybody. Uh, that was his, uh, uh, that was like his way of shaking hands. <clears throat> and uh, Menachem uh, tell Jean-Claude, um, come to my office tomorrow morning. I have a script for you. So they just happen to be looking for uh, somebody to star in Bloodsport. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's pretty much how that uh, came about. <clears throat> um, Jean-Claude was in a movie at the time. It, it, was, it had just opened or was just about to open. He played the villain in this movie called No Retreat, No Surrender. Yeah. And so Mark DeSalle tells me and Frank, um, hey, Menachem thinks he's found a guy uh, to star in the movie. His name is Jean-Claude Van Damme, and uh, why don't you go check out this movie that he's in? So we, mm-hmm. we saw No Retreat, No Surrender, and uh, uh, it's not much of a movie, but the fights are really good, and Jean-Claude is just a, a standout in the movie. So... Um, uh, yeah, we both gave our enthusiastic thumbs up. Next thing I know, they're on their way to Hong Kong to uh, to start shooting the movie. Wow, that's amazing! And I, Sheldon, I've been watching Bloodsport. I actually, the first time I ever saw Bloodsport, I was actually three years old, so I know the film inside and out. Believe it or not, you know, I I can even watch it in another language and know what's going on. So. Um, I have, uh, yeah. I, yeah, I have met a few people um, over the course of the years who have seen that movie. Who tell me they have seen that movie 100 times. I'm not talking two, three, or four. I'm talking about quite a few people who have seen that movie 100 times. So, yeah. Um, so uh, yeah, I guess you're. In, I'm going to add you to the list. Oh, oh yeah, de- definitely. And uh, I just wanted to comment and say that I I did meet Frank a few years ago and um when I met Frank and started talking with him he said to me he said you know more about blood sport than I do. <laughs> so, which you, I I'm sure you know out. more about you know more about blood sport than I do except uh when it comes to the origins of how that movie came together. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, Frank likes to tell a different story. Uh, he basically likes to say that um he did everything, and he wrote everything, and uh, so uh, um, 
it's just part of his personality to um, fabricate and exaggerate, and and um, uh, that creates problems for me and John Claude sometimes. We have to, you know, we have to deal with uh, countering that. Um, yeah. But um, um, but that's pretty much the straight story of how the movie came together, and um, um, and I pretty much uh, that's my story, and I'm sticking to it. Okay. <laughs> awesome, awesome. Let's let's move on because my my next thing that I want to talk about because to me I really loved this film because it was it was realistic street fights. Um, how did you? end up doing Lionheart because it's it's one of my personal favorites well um uh thank you very much well that's the first feature film that i directed so uh uh, to me that's a real compliment that 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 you feel that film turned out so well a lot of people that really really love that movie Mm -hmm. um and that was a um that was a story that john claude and i concocted um Uh, he, um, um, at, at the time, um, after he made Bloodsport, uh, Canon Films did not want to release it because uh, Menachem thought it was a terrible movie. He thought John Claude was terrible. So there was a period of a couple of years where it just sat on the shelf. Um, but there were other uh, producers who had seen No Retreat, No Surrender that wanted to work with John Claude, and one of them was uh, Sunil Shaw. Um, so Sunil wanted to do a movie with him, and John Claude came up with pretty much the basic plot line mm-hmm. of the movie. And then uh, he and I went to this restaurant on Sunset Boulevard, uh, which at the time was called Ben Frank's, and we sat there for three hours just coming up with uh, all kinds of ideas for this uh for this story, and then um, he pitched it to Sunil and got it set up, and um, uh, I got hired to write the screenplay. And wow. um, I must say, um, uh, Sunil gave us quite a bit of freedom on that film because, uh, in, in so many cases, um, producers force you to do rewrites and want you to change your script and change mm-hmm. all kinds of elements, and um, Sunil pretty much um, let us make the movie that we wanted to make, um, and uh, part of that was, uh, uh, part of the backstory too was that um, uh, I wanted to get into directing, and uh, Jean-Claude convinced Sunil to give me a chance to direct this movie as well as to write it. And Sunil was enthusiastic about hiring me to write because I had written uh, Rambo 3. So mm-hmm. um, uh, so I had some pretty solid action movie credentials at the time, but um, no feature films that I had directed. I had directed this short, uh, uh, this Vietnam uh, film that was about 20 minutes long and I shot in 16 millimeter. And fortunately I had that. So I was able to show that to Sunil, and Sunil was Sunil was uh, impressed with it, um, and um, that with Jean Claude begging him to let me direct. And, and the reason Jean Claude wanted me to direct the movie, just because mm-hmm. he knew I had I had faith in him. I I actually felt he could be a good actor. I actually felt he could be a big movie star, 
And not everybody felt that way. Um, in, in fact, quite a few people didn't feel that way, uh, Menachem Golan being one of them. And even after Bloodsport did well, Menachem still didn't think that John Claude was any kind of an actor because yes. uh, we developed uh, Double Impact for Canon Films. Uh, it was called the Corsican Brothers at the time. And um, uh, that movie was going to go forward, and I was going to direct it. And uh, we were already we had done some scouting in uh, Paris and in Corsica. And mm -hmm. then Menachem decided, we're not making this movie with Jean-Claude. Because Jean-Claude can't even play one, one character, how do you expect him to play two? So um, that pretty much comes back to why Jean-Claude wanted me to direct the movie, because he knew that I would uh, do my best to get his best on the screen. I would, I would, tr uh, I would consciously be trying to make him look good, and to bring out his best uh, his best abilities as far as acting, mm -hmm. and um, I, I feel we were both successful with that because uh, uh, he certainly uh, has a much wider range of emotion and far more dialogue in Lionheart than in most anything else that he had done up to that time. Basically, people would try to keep his dialogue very simple or keep it to a minimum because. The feeling at the time was uh, um, he doesn't speak English very well. He's not an actor. Uh, give him something really simple to do, but then let him let him do his kicking and his punching and all that kind of stuff because that's all that people want to see from this guy. Yeah. Well, with yeah. Lionheart, we proved uh, we proved differently. We proved that uh, uh, that he really had the chops to be a, a movie star. Mm -hmm. And that was the first film that Universal released of, uh, of a, uh, that was the first Van Damme film that they released theatrically um, we um, we had the film completed and it had has a number of different titles throughout the world you know uh, Lionheart is called Wrong Bet it's called AWOL Full Contact or something yeah Full Contact in, yeah, um, full contact. in France yeah. and um, um we uh, managed to get the film, and this is not Sunil even. Uh, this is Jean-Claude and I, um, through our friend Sam Raimi, got the film to uh, Jim Jacks at Universal. Jim saw the film, and Jim is the one who actually brought the movie to the attention of Universal and got it released by Universal. That was Jean-Claude's first studio release, and he got their interest. Universal ended up doing a number of other movies for Universal mm -hmm. afterwards. That, that was mm -hmm. the first one. You know, he ended up doing Hard Target and Time Cop, and uh, uh, there were a few others that were Universal releases also. I, in fact, I believe uh, the Quest was released by Universal. But that was, uh, yeah, that was his first taste of uh, working with a big uh, American studio. Well, now when it comes to Lionheart, was a sequel ever even discussed or even <clears throat> thought of? Because yes, I've always wondered that for years. So. Yeah, um, <clears throat> Sunil wanted to do a sequel, and uh, <clears throat> Jean-Claude did not want to be in the sequel. Uh, Jean-Claude had, um, uh, <clears throat> had a less than stellar opinion of working with Sunil and his brothers, and he didn't mm -hmm. want to be in the sequel. Um, so they approached, uh, the producers approached my agent, 
at the time, and so they wanted to do a sequel. They wanted uh, um, they wanted me to direct it. They'd already hired somebody to write a script, so there was a script written. And the big problem was if well, Jean Claude's not going to star in it, um, then um, uh, then who is? Who's going to play uh, either uh, either the same role, mm-hmm. or um, um, are we, we're going to have to create a whole new character and just call it Lionheart? Um, they had Harrison Page on board. Harrison um, was uh, uh, he was he was more than willing to be in the sequel. They had talked to him, um, but uh, we just could not come to terms on. Um, who the lead was going to be, and also um, I felt if we're if we're doing a sequel to this movie, and we don't have Jean Claude, then um, it's not going to be the same film. It's not going it, it's not going to feel the same to mm-hmm. the audience. And um, I think I was correct to some degree because uh, you know it's not like doing a a superhero movie sequel. Um, yeah. This, you know, like Spider-Man and Captain America, they're, they're comic book characters, and you can get different actors to play them in, in different sequels. You can do re- reboots and all of that. But uh, uh, Lionheart was Van Damme. Um, yeah. You know, Van Damme, is, you know, it was his name above the title. It was not a comic book. It was an original story. And uh, I feel it would have turned like, like those blood sport sequels, you know, they did those blood sport sequels, and they found a um, they found a good, interesting actor, uh, Daniel mm-hmm. Bernhardt. Um, Daniel would have been a good choice to do a Lionheart sequel, but except nobody knew him at the time. Yeah, uh, I believe he was. Um, um, I think Alan Marez found uh, Daniel uh, somehow for those blood sport sequels, and. You know they're not they're not bad. Especially the second one is especially I I think is um, is sort of okay. Yeah. But it ain't blood sport. You know. Yeah. And then you know the third one g- gets worse, and then the fourth one is just unwatchable. Yeah. The fourth um, one I was very disappointed. I was like, come on, I really paid for this. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they had a really wacky director on it. Uh, I got to be friends with Daniel Bernhardt. Uh, uh, around that time, and um, and actually, it was uh, it was written. The script was written or co-written by my friend George Saunders, who uh, co-wrote uh, the Hardcore with me. Mm-hmm. And um, um, yeah, they had this wacko director named Elvis, who just was, thought he was making an art movie, and was just coming up with all kinds of weird choices. Uh, like Daniel told me. Um, I get to the set one day, and the prop people had made um, some angel wings. Uh-huh. And the director, and Elvis says, um, yeah, put these on, Daniel. You're going to be wearing these in all your scenes today. And, uh, you know, <laughs> Daniel's completely perplexed. Angel wings. Can you please explain the angel wings to me? And I think Elvis had all, some kind of a bizarre explanation. Anyway, Daniel didn't buy it, and he basically said, um, Elvis, I'm not wearing the angel wings. Okay. Wow. <laughs> we're gonna shoot. Well, we're gonna shoot today, but I'm not shooting the angel wings. And, and Elvis, just, he was pouting about it all day. And Daniel said he actually put the angel wings on himself and just uh, directed the movie the rest of that day wearing the angel wings. So 
Yeah. That just gives you an idea of uh, just how much worse Bloodsport 4 could have been, okay? <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, seriously, because like I said, I've been a loyal fan for years, and I'm like, I can't believe I actually bought this. I mean, you know, I was I had high expectations, but they just they just kept getting worse, and I'm like, oh, jeez. Right. Well, <laughs> well. Come, so coming back to a Lionheart sequel, you know, that's the kind of thing that could have happened with those Lionheart sequels. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, the um, you know the Shaw brothers. Like I said, they they really um, gave Jean Claude and I free reign on. Um, Lionheart and gave us, um, you know, it wasn't a huge budget, but uh, we had enough days to shoot it properly. You know, we had, um, I believe we had 39 days of production on it, which is pretty damn good. I mean, nowadays there are low-budget movies being shot in 14 days, 18 days, and so we had, you know, we had 39 days, pretty damn good. We went to um, uh, our our North Africa scenes we shot in Las Vegas, so basically Mm -hmm. the company traveled to Las Vegas for a week, and we shot the, and they built that Foreign Legion camp there, so uh, so we made a pretty decent movie, but then the Shaw brothers had very, very bad luck <clears throat> with other movies that they did, um, <clears throat> simply because, uh, well, they didn't have, um, I know I'm going to be blowing my own horn here, but they didn't have people the caliber of me and John Claude doing those other movies. Oh, actually, they did. Uh, they did. Um, they did a movie called. Um, uh, I think it was called Supernova, and they had James Spader starring in it. They had um, uh, Walter Hill directed the movie. Mm-hmm. You won't see his name on the movie because he took his name off. But basically, the Shaw brothers were calling the shots, making decisions, telling Walter Hill, uh, well, you're going to have to do this our way. And um, the movie turned into a disaster. Then they, they also did um, that uh, Double Dragon movie yeah. with Mark Dacascos. And again, and again they, just, uh, and that, they just used somebody who was the wrong director, the wrong producer. It was just a big, big mess from the get-go. Mm-hmm. And... Um, um, and this is what would have happened to the Lionheart sequels also. Um, you know, once they started feeling like they were, um, they were the creative geniuses that made Lionheart uh, the, the big success that it was, um, well, then once, once they started calling shots on people, started telling Walter Hill how to make a movie, um, mm-hmm. then they pretty much put their company in the toilet which is what, what happened eventually. They, they, they uh, went bankrupt. So um, probably it was probably a good move not to do uh, the Lionheart sequel without Van Damme. Uh, with Van Damme, I think we could have done something really interesting, really cool. If we were yeah. at, uh, Van Damme and uh, Harrison Page both in the movie. But uh, to do Lionheart without Van Damme is like doing Rocky without Stallone. That, that- that's what that's what my next comment was going to be. I could have seen Lionheart be uh, like a Rocky type franchise, but for the martial arts. Uh, right, movie world. right. So. Yeah, but you know, just like yeah, it had to have it had to have the um, the original star. Mm-hmm, uh, it mm-hmm. had to have Van Damme in the movie. Uh, otherwise, it uh, wasn't going to have the same feel to it. 
just yeah. like uh, you know, you, you cannot imagine a Rocky sequel without Stallone. And even yeah. though this this last one, Creed, um, uh, yeah, they had Michael Jordan playing um, playing the lead role, but then Rocky, you know, Stallone is Stallone's pretty much the co-lead in that movie, and uh, without him, that movie would not have been. Uh, what what it ended up being? Exactly, because they originally wanted to cast uh, uh, I think Burt Reynolds for Rocky, and I don't think that that would have really worked out. I think Stallone. Right. I, yeah. I heard James Caan also. They 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 wanted to cast James Caan, but whoever yeah. it would have been, it wouldn't have been the same. It, it it would not have become the iconic film that it became without Sylvester Stallone. Yeah, and. Uh, Sheldon, one of the questions that I've wanted to ask you for years um, to to get this from you, um, I had heard that you had done a, a film called Firefight. Why was that? Correct. Yeah. Yeah, was that, that was uh, well. That <clears throat> going back to Tracers, um, Firefight was a script I developed from a scene that I wrote for Tracers that ended up not being used just because it was. Just a really bi- too big and unwieldy and you know too prop dependent to do on the stage. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was decided not to do it. But but it was a a scene that I I wrote uh, completely on my own independently. So um, I turned it into a little a little screenplay and decided well I'm going to make this movie because uh, I, I I think it's a really cool story um, and I ended up. Um, um, raising a little bit of money to make it, um, and um, um, Frank Dukes uh, ended up playing one of the lead characters in it. Mm-hmm. Um, so got to see what his mm-hmm. acting abilities and the screen presence were like, and then um, I cast a few other people who went on to uh, uh, do some really great things in the business. Um, uh, this is it was Brian Thompson's first movie, mm-hmm. uh, and Br- Brian went on to well, he's been in three of my movies, but he was also the the villain in Cobra, and uh, uh, he's been killed by all the all the big action stars. He's been killed by Stallone and Schwarzenegger and Van Damme, yeah. and um, so Brian was in it, and we had uh, Philip Ree, um, yeah, very Philip good. Philip and Simon, yeah, Philip Ree and Simon Ree were in it. Mm-hmm. Um, and a um, um, number of other um, young actors, most of whom really didn't go on to have any kind of big careers. Uh, one of the stunt guys was a guy named Jeff Haverstad, who ended up becoming kind of a big shot stunt coordinator. Um, so I think that was the first time he'd ever worked on a movie doing stunts. Uh, I could be wrong. He might have done some other stuff before then. But... Uh, um, but it, you know, it, 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 it's a cool little movie. I don't really um, uh, let people see it anymore, yeah. uh, just because it was. Um, we shot it on 16 millimeter. Uh, I blew it up to 35, and um, if anything, it was just um, uh, it, it just served as a uh, an entry point for me to start directing movies in the business. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh yeah I, I I tried watching it about a year ago with Brian Thompson. He was uh, just curious to see it again and and 
it doesn't hold up, and there's really a lot of things I don't like about it. So I don't want to. I just don't want to show it. But yeah. um, that little movie is what got me. You know, Jean Claude saw it, and he thought um, he thought it proved that um, I had the chops to direct the feature. And uh, Sam Raimi also saw it and liked it. And Sam ended up showing it to uh, Dino De Laurentiis, and I ended up having a directing deal at Dino De Laurentiis's company to do a movie that was going to star Jean-Claude and was going to be produced by Sam Raimi and Rob Tappert. So mm-hmm. um, that, that all sounds... And it was co-written by me and um, Chuck Farr. And Chuck is the guy who went on to write um, Dark Man and... Um, um, oh, he's... Uh, Dark Man and, um, and he wrote a few others for Sam. Oh, yeah, Hard Target. Chuck wrote Hard Target. Also. Yeah, that's a good and one. Ch- that's a real good one. Yeah, and Chuck was yeah. um, a former Navy SEAL, but like the real deal. You know, he wasn't, you know, Chuck wasn't um, yanking everybody's chain like Frank, you know, Frank telling stories about being in the Marines and being in the CIA and doing all these secret missions. Frank didn't do anything like that. Chuck yeah. was the real deal who was in the, he was in SEAL Team 6. Um, he was in the, he was in the SEALs for nine years and, uh, um, anyways, Chuck and I became we became pretty good friends. I, I introduced him to Jean Claude and Sam Raimi, and and uh, uh, he had a pretty nice career there for a while. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But um, uh, yeah, so uh, so Firefight got me so it, it, it got me a deal with Dino. That the movie that Chuck and I wrote was called Atlas, um, and it was sort of Spartacus in the future. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> And I would think that might be where Sam and Rob got the idea to do a Spartacus TV series. Uh, I think it all goes back to that. But yeah. we never got the movie made, but it did get me, did get me a directing deal with Dino. Um, and then I showed the movie to Menachem Galan also, and that's how Menachem gave me a... Um, I was going to direct a movie for Canon, um, that Leon Isaac Kennedy and I had written. And um, that one never got off the ground also. Uh, and um, same thing as some of these others. It was just casting issues. Yeah. Uh, Leon and I wanted John claude to be the co-lead. And uh, Menachem said, no way. Uh, this guy, his, the word, his word for John claude was poison. This guy's poison. Yeah. Um, and he wanted Michael Dudikoff to be the co-lead um, but was going to let me direct the movie uh, anyways Michael didn't want to do it and it just kind of fell by the wayside and then afterwards I you know then um, uh, ended up doing Lion Art with Jean-Claude and um, that's pretty much what launched my uh, directing career back then yeah and uh, another movie that I thought was really interesting that I wanted to talk to you about today um only the strong. Um, how did you get involved with that? Well, um, I met this guy named Luis Esteban um, <clears throat> via uh, Lawrence Bender. Uh, Luis was actually Lawrence Bender's roommate um, for a while back then, back when Lawrence and uh, Quentin Tarantino were trying to um, uh, launch um, uh, some of Quentin's films. They were actually trying to they were trying to get uh, uh, Reservoir Dogs off the ground. And um, 
Luis had been a martial artist in New York City. Um, and um, he and I came up with an idea for a movie, uh, a martial arts movie, based on something that he had done before. Um, he had been um, martial arts. Um, didn't, didn't ever get to the screenplay stage with it, but uh, it was just something that was percolating. And then um, Sammy Hadida uh, ended up um, uh, buying um, Lionheart. He's only released Lionheart in France um, and um, uh, did really, really well with it in France. And then... Uh, uh, he also um, he also released Double Impact in France. Both those films did really well for him, and uh, so he approached me with an idea about doing um, a martial arts movie about capoeira. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, uh, I went to Luis and I said, uh, "Hey, can we uh, uh, can we adapt our uh, story about these high school kids um, so that?" the martial art at the center of it is capoeira rather than uh, karate. And um, uh, we found that that would be quite easy to do, so we ended up uh, pitching that to Sammy, and Sammy hired me to uh, write the screenplay. Mm -hmm. Wow. I, I thought then there, was a, yeah. there was a matter of getting a star for that one, too, and uh, we ended up putting Mark DeCascos in it, and that was his first mm -hmm. starring role, and that was a bit of a struggle because the producers, um, the producers um, did not want Mark to star in the movie. They wanted somebody with more of a name, and um, my point to them was, let's create a name rather than, um, rather than finding somebody else out there who's, um, uh, who's not adept at doing this kind of stuff, and I, I thought Mark had a lot of talent. I thought he was, his acting was terrific and his acrobatics were amazing and he'd already been taking some capoeira classes yeah. uh, independently of, of uh, what we were doing. So, uh, um, yeah, so we shot a screen test and the people at 20th Century Fox uh, liked it and, um, you know, they thought uh, maybe Mark could be their next Brandon Lee. Mm -hmm. Wow, that's... That's amazing. And uh, Sheldon, I wanted to say, too, I wanted to ask you, too, and this will be one of my final questions because I don't want to keep you too long. And, you know, and basically I want to um, to thank you for joining me today as well. It's it's really been a pleasure and a dream come true and, and everything. So You're very welcome. Um, but uh, one of my final questions for you, and please tell John Claude I'm a fan, too, so... Um, is uh, will we be seeing a Max Two possibly? Well, could you repeat the question? Uh, yes, sir. Is it possible that we might see a Max Two? Oh, they're making a Max Two. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, but um, what they're doing with it uh, is um, they're going straight to DVD with it. Um, there's a whole sub-genre of um, dog movies with Christmas themes and holiday themes mm -hmm. that go straight to DVD. <clears throat> um, 
Uh, you can look some of these up and you'll see them. You, 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 they don't open in the theaters. Um, there's, you know, like the dog that saved Christmas and the dog that saved Halloween and the dog that saved summer vacation. There's, you know, there's a whole slew of these. Mm-hmm. And they're all rated PG or even G. Um, yeah, successful dog movies, um, uh, what they end up doing is um, rather than making a, a straight-out sequel, a theatrical sequel, <clears throat> unless the, even when the film does super well, like Marley and Me did, did, did huge business, but they ended up doing a straight-to-DVD um, sequel, which was called Marley, the Puppy Years. Mm-hmm. And um, it was just really insipid. It had, it, they, they had Marley and his, his other dog buddies w- would talk. They had talking dogs. So <laughs> <laughs> they really kind of cheapened it and made it very juvenile. Yeah. Um, but these movies apparently do well. You know, like there was uh, Air Bud. <clears throat> and I can't remember if they made a theatrical sequel to Air Bud, but... They have made a lot of sequels. The guy who wrote the original Air Bud is just called Air, Air Bud Golden, Golden Receiver. And then there are a couple others, and then they came up with Air Buddies. Or, or um, uh, I forget, I think it was, um, yeah, it was Air Buddies. And then they, the Air Buddies was like six Golden Retriever puppies. And... Uh, they had they did one with a Halloween theme called Spooky Buddies. They've done a bunch of these and they're just really insipid. But um, they're straight to DVD and um, um, and grandparents buy them for their grandkids or whatever. Um, so it's this whole subgenre, and that's what they decided to do with Max. Rather than making a proper theatrical sequel, they just I, the uh, last I heard they were doing two of them back-to-back, and it was not going to have... It's only going to have one of the original cast members because they keep these things kind of low budget. Yeah. Uh, So it's going to have the girl, um, Mia Jitali, who played the character Carmen. So Carmen's going to be in it, and Max is going to be in it. The dog who played Max, Carlos, uh, he's Mm -hmm. going to be in it. Um, But it's going to be a lot more kid-friendly uh, you know, Max, even though he somehow managed to get a PG rating, uh, Max is pretty hardcore. It's, you know, like three people die in the movie. Uh, yeah. Two Rottweilers die in the movie. <laughs> you know, it's, it's got dog fights. It, you know, it's, um, um, it's a pretty rough film for PG nowadays. And people have, uh, online, people have even commented, um, that uh, oh this is really too scary for uh, you know for ten uh, year olds um, although uh, uh, kids no matter what age just love the movie and you know it's really not all that all that yeah. intense there's no blood there's no uh, I think we got the PG just because there's no um, um, there's there's no expletives in it there's yeah. no sex in it um, there's like this one kiss and that's it. And, um, you know, otherwise, it's a pretty safe movie for kids. And, um, um, uh, and we, you know, we were really, we were very happily surprised that we got away with it because the studio 
they were nervous. They were saying, well, you got to, you know, uh, can we not have people die? <laughs> you know? yeah. Yeah. <laughs> because we really want to, we really want to get a PG rating for this. Um, and, um, I got to hand it to the, my co-writer and the director, Boaz, and he was just saying, no way. You know, this is, uh, uh, you know, it starts in Afghanistan. So have people have got to die. Wow. Um, yeah. so, um, so Boaz just, yeah, he just stuck to his guns and shot our script. I mean, that's, that's almost, uh, it, it's our spec script almost in its entirety. It's like 90% of it is our spec script that we wrote on our own and, and sold to the studio. Um, but um, um, now they've got uh, full control, so they're basically saying, okay, the next one's going to be like, Super PG, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's gonna be, uh, it's gonna be, uh, no violence at all. Or if there is any violence, it's gonna be like, you know, cartoonish fun violence. So, anyways, yeah. Boaz and I are not, we're not involved with the sequels. Um, but, um, yeah, as far as I know, uh, I don't know how much progress they've made on the first one, but they were gonna do two of them back to back. Wow, wow. And uh, one of my last questions is going to be unorthodox, Sheldon. But um, mm-hmm. have have you ever worked with any disabled uh, actors? Because eventually I would love to get my story out there. And, you know, maybe you would be one of the people to actually get my story out there. Well, the only disabled actors that I've worked with um, mm-hmm. is in the hardcore we had some scenes at the VA hospital in mm-hmm. the hardcore, and um, so we had um, we had a few people um, that were amputees that were um, um, that we used as uh, specialized extras in that one. But otherwise, um, uh, no, that's not something that I have um, that I have done before. Um, okay, and not not saying I wouldn't be interested, but uh, mm-hmm. just something mm-hmm. that I, as of yet, have not uh, done. Uh, okay, I was I was just curious because you've you've done in your career obviously, and and with you doing Max and this new transition, you know, I, I'm you know I thought maybe you have you know done something like that. So no, no, I haven't. But, you know, like one thing I was going to mention earlier, but I got sidetracked was that um, uh, it's very easy to get pigeonholed in this um, in this business mm-hmm. and that's one of the reasons I've done a number of martial arts movies and people wouldn't have even thought that I'd be interested in doing a dog movie because um, uh, I got pigeonholed in this um, martial arts category you know so for a while I was that's the kind of movies that that I was doing, and um, um, I wouldn't be able to uh, even pitch anything like, uh, different. Um, and also um, uh, military movies. I, I, I ended up working on a lot of uh, military or military themes movies because of uh, Rambo. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, you know, Legionnaire, is a, that's a military movie. And I was even hired uh, a while back um, to um, write and direct uh, G.I. Joe. Wow. Uh, this is before they, um, this is when Paramount still had it before Warner Brothers got it. And um, uh, so I actually uh, 
wrote um, I wrote a draft and uh, got to go to Pawtucket, Rhode Island, and visit the Hasbro factory, and um, um, they gave me a bunch of GI Joe toys, and uh, uh, yeah, so for a while there, I was. Uh, uh, working on G.I. Joe, but that one ended up not happening either, which is, you know, sort of common for this business. Uh, um, you know, lots of projects don't happen for one reason or another, fall by the wayside, and uh, uh, happens to everybody. Yeah. Uh, what, what's, your, what's your expectations for this year, 2016? I'm, I've just gotten hired to write a new script. Um mm-hmm. And again, it's something that's a little different, but a little bit the same. Um, I'm, I'm writing about a revolutionary war hero, the American Revolution, mm-hmm. um, a um, somebody who was a very, very instrumental in um, the Continentals winning the war against the British, but who's um, who hasn't been heard about for many, many years, and um, um, so. You know, again, it's it's a war movie. It's got some battle scenes. It's got uh, lots of other stuff in it, but uh, politics and uh, interpersonal relationships. But um, it's uh, it takes place during the um, Revolutionary War, and it's about a real person. It's not like you know they did that series called Turn recently. That was all fictional. Mm-hmm. This is about somebody who really existed. Uh, there's there's books about him, documents, and uh, so um, I'm about to start uh, working on that. Wow, amazing, amazing! And, and uh, Sheldon, I wanted to give you the opportunity to uh, to give my audience and, and myself some final thoughts because I don't want to keep you any longer because I know that you're a very, very, very busy man, and I hope that we can have you back on the future, back on in the future whenever you have some uh, future movies to promote. I would be willing to help out with that as well. So. Well, I, um, I I hope there's a good reason for me to be back then. <laughs> so we will we will see. But um, uh, yeah, no no parting words really. Just just thank you very much for um, for being a fan and for getting in touch with me. And uh, it was really a pleasure to uh, talk to you about uh, all these um, various exploits uh, uh, over the course of um, many many years. Oh, it's it's my pleasure. Are you kidding me? I'm like a little kid in a candy store. You know, I've wanted to speak to you for years. So, well, here we are. Here we are. So, uh, uh, so, anyways, good luck to you, Justin, and um, um, and hopefully we'll be talking again sometime in the near future. Absolutely, sir. Thank you very much. Okay. Bye now. You have been listening to the Justin Harvey Show here on the World Martial Arts Radio Network. Be sure to tune in again next week for his latest show. Thank you for listening. Hi, I'm Stephanie Ma from World Martial Arts Media. And today I'm here to tell you about LegacyBelts.com. Legacy Championship Belts and Awards is the world's premier manufacturer of custom and cast championship title belts who supplies belts to the top professional boxing, MMA, and wrestling organizations on the planet. If you are a promoter or collector looking for a high-quality MMA, martial arts, boxing, wrestling belt, or even a belt for a special event, then you need to visit LegacyBelts.com today. Be sure to like us at www.facebook.com 
slash legacy belts. Hi, Stephanie Ma here again with a special report from World Martial Arts Media about LegacyFightGear.com. Legacy Fight Gear is the official supplier to the world's oldest and most respected martial arts organizations. They have been manufacturing high-quality affordable products for over 30 years. Visit their new online catalog at LegacyFightGear.com today. School owners who want to raise money for their teams can register to get a wholesale account and become a distributor for LegacyFightGear.com. Don't forget to like our official page at www.facebook.com slash LegacyFightGear.